Where do I start? How do I train recall? How long should we work on healing before moving on? Is crate training really that important? We hear these questions all the time and there's one answer that will help with all of them. The complete step-by-step -step dog training course found at Standing Stone Supply. They break down the what, when, where, and how to train your own dog from eight weeks to one year old. They've got it all laid out for you down to even the daily activity checklist to keep you and your puppy on track. Check out standingstonesupply.com and remember to use code GDIY to save 10%. Being an upland hunter in the South nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20%. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperice.com. If you're balking at something because you're afraid, then you're going to be tentative on how you're going to approach it your next training session, or you're not going to understand how to maybe set the dog up to reteach that and show it again uh, because it didn't go well on Monday. So you're going to avoid it. That's being afraid to train the dog. And then you're going to always have a dog that either has a hole in its training. As you build this house, the foundation is weak because you didn't attack it and, and train. Have you ever shot a bird that just keeps on flying and you're standing there saying, I swear I hit that bird? Well, good news. Maybe it might not be you, but rather your shotgun. Go check out uplandguncompany.com and construct the perfect shotgun that is not only built to your exact physical specifications, but your preferred looks as well. To some people, a shotgun not only has to perform, but look good while doing it also. Upland Gun Company has made this process super convenient and surprisingly affordable when you consider all of the completely customizable features. Get your shotgun order submitted today so you're standing there with your dog saying fetch rather than standing there still saying, I couldn't have missed that bird. Last fall, I made the change to a Final Rise Summit System vest and was blown away with not only the customization and durability, but the overall functionality. I can honestly say my setup directly impacted how many miles I covered because the design eliminates shoulder fatigue and discomfort while still providing the perfect amount of storage. I appreciate the waist belt design so much that in the training season, I removed the straps and swapped the game bag out for the Sidekick System game bag, and I now have the perfect training belt set up for the long and hot training season. Go to FinalRise.com and check out all the available options that are all sourced and sewn right here in the USA. All right, everybody, welcome back to another week of GDIY presented by Standing Stone Supply. This week, we have a mutual friend of Standing Stone Supplies, uh, Bob Owens of Lone Duck. Bob, how you doing, man? Good, dude. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, absolutely. I always love having a a, a renowned retriever guy on, on the show from time to time to kind of clue us pointing dog guys into what we're doing wrong with retrieving stuff, right? Well, thanks for having me. Renowned is a little aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and I mean, ultimately, that's what we're here to talk about is like, w 
retrieving overall? You know, we've had you on a couple times, uh, mo- most recently during the Force Fetch series that we did. It was, I, I can't even remember when that was. It wasn't even a full year ago. But you did hand signals on that. And then I think way back when you also did a Force Fetch episode with us. So you've been on a couple times. But now we're, we're going to kind of cover a lot of bases here and a lot of general retrieving talk because the timing just happens to be that you have a full retrieving course or force fetch step-by-step course available through through your program so let's go ahead and plug that and then get into all the all the fun stuff of what you're actually teaching on that course yeah that's super cool i appreciate it very much um maybe we can do the link in the description because I have screwed it up, but I think <laughs> it's loneduck.podia.com forward slash force fetch. So it's like a long, ridiculous thing, but it's super easy to use. So we'll make sure that that's correct and that I'm not a knucklehead. But um, it is an hour and 20 minutes of me sharing force fetch with people. We have six different dogs six or seven different dogs, all different personalities. So some people will say like, my dog's too soft for force fetch. You know, I've got a really gentle dog that doesn't handle pressure. Well, guess what? You see them on the, on the course. Like I've got a few that are real, uh, I've got to be real gentle with, but the process is the same. Um, I've got one dog that's kind of clammy so he can handle a lot of pressure and it doesn't make him, um, speed up it doesn't make him snappy with it and you've got and i had to work him through it to get the desired response of what i'm looking for to teach him how to turn that pressure off and how to be successful um i've got different breeds so i've got two golden retrievers an american water spaniel uh and then a bunch of labradors yeah um so and it's also to my knowledge, one of, if not the only toe hitch method, mm. force fetch course. So ear pinch is most common, and I'm sure most people have heard it. Um, I've ear pinched hundreds of dogs. And then as I learned toe hitch over the last maybe three years, I am 99.99 toe hitch now. Um, so I review ear pinch. I show how you would go through the whole process on ear pinch. but you watch the different personalities, the different breeds, the different dogs go through toe hitch. And so it gives you options and see what you're most comfortable with. Um, And it goes from hold with a a baby puppy who's just lost its baby teeth all the way to a dog jumping in and out of dog hides and dog stands and delivering to hand uh, with, with real ducks. So any of the hiccups that a duck might happen or you know, they don't like this kind of bumper or like you name all the excuses of why a dog fumbles bumpers or drops them, picks them up, drops them, gets out of the water, shakes off, drops it. All that stuff is covered from start to finish as thorough as I can, explained as thorough as I can, shown as thorough as I can. And so uh, it's been a two year project. It was fun to work on. I'm glad it's done. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And uh, now it's out there for people and we've gotten really good feedback. So I'm really thankful to to hear back from people that have done it and easy to understand. Um, I don't I, it's as monotonous as force fetch can be or overwhelming as force ca- fetch can seem. You know, I try and make it simple yeah. and, and easy. 
And you, man, you, you just covered a lot of that going through that, but let's, let's start with that. Why, why, the overwhelming aspect of somebody, especially brand new to this world, considering going through force fetch. And I, I was there just a few years ago, so I still remember it pretty, pretty well. My first time going through, it is a very daunting task. Mm-hmm. I I, I want to get your take on why you think it is so overwhelming compared to other forms of dog training, because we've talked about it on, on this podcast a number of times. Once you kind of get your a good feel for it or a good handle of what force fetch is, or maybe you, you have a mentor that helps you or a course such as yours that, that helps people through it. Once you kind of understand that, you can kind of recognize in a lot of ways, you know, in the pointing dog world, especially like even field steadiness can be more pressure on a dog than force fetch. So with all that being said, why do you think force fetch is such and just a daunting task for a lot of people to undertake for the first time? That's a great question. Uh, and before I forget your listeners get 20% off our our course. So we're going to run this 20% off for a whole year. So from January 1st or whenever this launches, January 1st, 2023 till next year, you're going to have it uh, 20% off and it's GDIY20. Um, And so if you go to the course, you'll be able to do that. But um, anyways, I think, and I bet you would agree with this, the two things that are most intimidating for people are e-collar conditioning and force fetch. And it's because there's so much negative out there on the internet that they read and no one wants to ruin their dog. Right. So, so if this fear of the unknown and not fully understanding what it's supposed to look like, what's the dog supposed to do, how is it supposed to react, et cetera. And your dog, you, you pinch their ear for the first time and they go, Ow! and you're like, Oh my God, I'm going to ruin them. You're like, that's it. I'm done. I don't want, I don't want to hurt my dog. Or maybe they tuck their tail and you're like, come here, little Stella. No, (laughs) no, no. And it's like, I get it. Like there are things that they do day one to three and then day four, five, six, they're crushing. And then you move on and then they drop back down a little bit and then you start building them back up and they drop down a little bit in attitude and then you build them back up. And it's like this whole learning curve of how to be successful. And when they feel like they're being successful, man, their attitude picks up, everything's good. And if you trust the process, and you understand the process because of a mentor or a course or, um, you know, what, uh, you know the books and stuff. But being able to see it is, is pretty cool. I think being able to see other dogs react that way and then bounce back is gives you that sense of like, I can do this. But yeah, the main thing I hear people is my dog's too soft and or I don't want to ruin my dog. Well, if I did my job correctly with this course, you won't. Right. And that's a very good point. It's just like giving people the resources and tools. And, and oftentimes it's just giving the people confidence to, to just go out there. I mean, like you said, it, it's the nervousness or the apprehension from people comes from, it stems from a good place. It stems from them oh, not, yeah. not wanting to screw up their dogs. And what do we always preach to people? Like, look, if you're not comfortable doing something, then your dog's not going to be comfortable doing it as well. So there is a lot to that. I would also venture to say, if you're considering doing this, if you're brand new, stay off of social media. If you if, <laughs> like, if you go to a Facebook group and you're like, "Hey guys, you know my dog," I'm here to force fetch. I'm here to force <laughs> fetch, man. You're gonna get everything from 20 different ways of doing force fetch to also 
the army of people coming against force fetch to you yeah. and and all of that all that is doing is creating even more confusion which is going to create even more fear in the unknown because it's like man I, that's right I kind of knew what I wanted to do, but now I have no freaking idea. It's like, go go to people like you, your course, you know, Ethan's course. It, th- mm-hmm. There's so many tools and resources out there and, and just communication avenues. You know, they could yeah. they could just reach out to you, join your Patreon, whatever, join, follow up for the course and get the knowledge and then go apply it. But like you said... This is not a steady incline throughout the process. You're constantly going up and down, up and down, up and down. And I would all, my point to that is at the end of it, I think that is why you have such a more mature dog at the end of it. It's not the fact that you you knocked out a training course. It's like, yeah, kind of, but more or less you you had a dog that learned the lows and the highs, the lows and the highs, just like us. If we've yep. never dealt with a low and we get hit with something in life and we've never dealt with a low before, we just think the world's coming crashing around us. And ultimately, that's the beautiful thing about force fetch is you get through it and you have a very mature, well-rounded dog at the end of it if done right. If done right. And I feel like they're more confident because they've got this understanding of how to learn and how to be successful. So uh, for sure. And then I had another mentor one time make a comment, uh, don't be afraid to train the dog. I can't be scared to train that dog. So if, and this is not necessarily all about force, it's just that you can apply this to anything in our worlds. If you're balking at something because you're afraid of what the outcome will be, then you're going to be tentative on how you're going to approach it your next training session. Or you're not going to understand how to maybe set the dog up to reteach that and show it again uh, because it didn't go well on Monday, right? So you're going to avoid it. That's being afraid to train the dog. And then you're going to always have a dog that either has a hole in its training, a gap in its foundation. So it's as you build this house, the foundation is weak because you didn't attack it and, and train. And that's all it is. It's so... It shouldn't be scary, everyone. It is easy. I can do it, right? Like it's <laughs> it's easy. But but if you've never done it before, I can understand the the nerves behind it. But just following a course, following the guidelines, the you know ups and downs, and then like you said, me and Ethan are a sounding board on Patreon or even Instagram. Like, dude, I give away so much free in- information on Instagram. Right. It's it's not even funny, but you can bounce stuff off of us that says, pat you on the back. Hey, not bad. That's pretty good, man. Let's go. Push forward. Yeah. Move to the next step. Let's go. You got this. And ultimately, would you say in your experience of helping people when they reach out and ask for advice? The biggest hiccup is for the average person to know when to stay on a step and when to move forward on a step. Would you say that's the biggest hurdle for somebody to figure out? Dude, it's hilarious that you say that because it is the spectrum. It's like they've been on this task for like six months. Like, dude, that's like a five day or, but they're stuck. Or it's the person that the dog did it perfect once and they move on and the dog (laughs) like happenstance did it right right? They didn't understand what they were doing. They didn't build enough reps to build the, I mean, dog training is so much of consistency 
that doing reps and getting that consistency means the dog understands it and then you can move on. So yeah, it's, it's like a wide spectrum of like, Oh, my dog held point on that bird. It's like, Oh, he's steady. Let's go. Yep. No, it's like, you got to put him on a hundred birds. And if he's steady on 90 out of the hundred, nice. That's legit. Yeah. I always re- reference it. The three T's teach, train, test, right? You mm-hmm. teach it, mm-hmm. then you got to train it, proof it, rep it, whatever you want to call it. And then at the end you have your, your sounding board, you have your, your proof of whether that's a hunt, whether that's a test, what have you. Yeah. It, it's just like, go through that method. And, and you're right. <laughs> We've all seen the people to where, oh, my dog doesn't need force fetch. I put it on the table and guess what? It carried the bumper from end to end. And I'm like, there's a lot more to it than just carrying a bumper end to end, man. <laughs> yeah, dude. And one of my biggest pet peeves, biggest pet peeves is being in a training environment with other people who like maybe bring their dog and and just do a day train or you're at a hunt test and you're standing in the holding blind behind them. They're like, hold, hold it, bring Uh it here, fetch it up, fetch it up, fetch it, fetch it, bring it here, bring it here, hold, 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 hold. We got to knock that crap off. If you do force fetch properly, you don't ever have to say hold again. You don't ever have to beg them again. And it's just a beautiful, seamless delivery to hand. And everyone's going to look around and be like, dang, that was nice. Your dog can mark the bird beautiful. It can point the bird and hold it beautiful. It can do everything. But if it mouths that bird and drops it 10 times on the retrieve and then drops it at your feet and is poking at it and poking at it with its paws and like nosing it and then grabs it and you snag it, man, it's just not clean. It did everything perfect. Yeah. And then it just... Hell in a handbasket, buddy. It's it's a, the equivalency in the pointing dog world to the people that just see a dog go on point. The dog's not moving a muscle. It's not even trying or tempted to move a muscle, but yet you just hear the handler just constantly, whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa. Yeah. Well, I'm like, what are you whoeing? Like, <laughs> just the dog's it's not moving. Perfect. Yeah, it, yeah, it's the same thing. If you drill it and you and you build up off of it, you shouldn't have to keep saying that. And so it, it's funny that you say that. To where, like, let's go with that hold example because you Mm -hmm. have, you tend to have like two different types of people after force fetch to where they teach hold as a command and then they stick with it from then on out. You know, ignore the fact if they're overusing it, you know, quote unquote all the time or the people that never teach hold as a command. You, are you, where do you fall in that realm? Like, does it make sense to you either way for you? Because I kind of see the arguments on both sides of it, to be honest. Yeah. Let's, uh, while I do one of these, here we go. Cheers to our friend, Ethan, because I'm about <laughs> to call him out. This is where he and I differ. Okay. So I've, I've seen his whole force fetch course. Um, we did a seminar together this summer and we did a section on force fetch and I had brought like, you know, all my dogs, young dogs to like show it. And there were a couple seminar people that were jumping in on it, whatever. He does hold a ton, but then at the end, he doesn't use hold at all anymore because he taught fetch. And then if I tell you fetch, you don't drop it anymore. Right. So it becomes almost like a redundant command, but he likes to have such a strong hold that he can put a uh, you know, uh, Easter hairbrush. basket in it. <laughs> yeah, you can you can have them hold a beer can, a hairbrush, a hammer, a bumper, a pigeon, a duck. It'll a walk. It'll walk a ring down the aisle for you at a wedding. Yep, exactly. And and that works for him, and it's not wrong. Like you're asking me, this is Bob's personal methods. preference. 
Yeah. So what I do, so that's how Ethan does it. And then basically from then on out, he and I are almost identical. I don't focus on hold. The things that I make sure that the dog does withhold before I move on to toe hitch or ear pinch is, you know, you put, I use a paint roller. And the reason I use a paint roller is it's light, it's soft on their mouth, and it's got this beautiful little hole in the center that you can stick your finger in. And now I've got dexterity with an e-collar, the rope, the ear, you know, you know, maybe grab the table on the chain or like you've got things and you still got one finger on that hole and I can, you know, get it in their mouth easily versus a bumper or whatever where you need two fingers to hold it, right? Mm-hmm. Or a dowel. So I just, I don't add a bunch of different products to get them to hold. I just use the paint roller. When the dog will start accepting me, putting it in their mouth gently, I'll roll their lips back so they're not pinching their teeth against it. And when I can stroke their head and their chest and they aren't chopping it, rolling it or spitting it, which takes about three days for them to just relax. I don't ask them to walk up and down with it. I don't ask them to do anything else. Just sit there nice. And basically, you know, this may have negative connotations, but I don't mean it negatively. But they just submit to being like, nah, this is okay. I don't need to chomp it. I don't need to, you know, squeeze it. I don't need to roll it with my tongue. And I don't, and I'm not spitting it out anymore. I'm just chill. It's in my mouth. Life is good. I'm getting pet. That's when I move on to pressure. So it could be day two, three, four, typically not much more than that. And then I can start applying toe pressure, inserting it in the mouth, and then manipulate the situation to keep them holding it. Take it out, do it again. Um, I don't ask the dog to walk up and down the table. Uh, uh, You also don't have to have a table, but I find it helpful. So I show both in the course, but anyway, anyways, um, I don't ask them to walk up and down on it until I'm about to go to collar fetch. And even then I don't make it a big deal. What I want is snappy response to the command and the pressure to turn that pressure off and get that in their mouth. And then don't chomp it, roll it, or spit it. Go pick that thing up and don't drop it. Good dog. Easy. So, again, this is Bob's personal opinion on this. This is regardless of breed or type of dog. You know, you you, you, oh, yeah, nat- yeah. you naturally deal with the, the natural retrievers, right? You know, your labs, your golden retrievers, your American water spaniels and all that. Sure, but I've done a bunch of short-haired drothars, um, and that's setters. Where was, that's where I was yeah. getting at. Yeah. Yep. And so what – if you don't focus on, on the hold uh, to, to that extent – when you do have a dog that's they they have that snappy response you say fetch they go get it they tear it they grab it but then on the way back they're mouthing it they're rolling it if you don't have that tool in your toolbox to correct it right then and there and it being separate what are you doing right then are you just giving it another fetch command or pressure what what are you doing that's a great question so there's there's a couple dogs that I show this on. And if you are on your Patreon, I think you said you were going to upload this to your Patreon. So if you're not a Patreon member and you want to see my physical example of doing this, (laughs) you should join his Patreon. But basically 
um, what I do is I cinch their, their collar up. So I'm applying upward pressure on the collar physically with my hand. And I cinch them up like, uh, and the mouthing stops. And then you relax and the mouthing stops. If they chomp again, whoop, and it's not hard, you're not choking them out, you're not doing anything crazy, you're just applying something, it's called indirect pressure. So I'm I'm applying, in, uh, fetch would be direct pressure. It, and even hold would be direct pressure because you're asking for a command. I'm not, a, I'm not giving a command. I'm just saying, if you do this behavior, something happens. As you relax, I relax, all that goes away, mouth is still. You do it again, it starts again, then you relax. And then it's relaxed and you do it again and it happens again. And all of a sudden you just see these dogs take that deep breath when they grab that thing and do it. Now, I will say almost every short hair, dropped our poodle pointer, uh, whatever I've done has had a little bit more chomp in them than my Labradors. If I fix it on the table, typically it doesn't happen as bad in the field, but when it does, I don't put any pressure on them in the field until they're done with force fetch. So there's no e-collar. There's no me telling them fetch until they're done with force fetch with the collar. And again, I apply indirect pressure here, stem here. Every time I see this chomp happen here, stem here. And so what they're thinking is I better hurry up to Bob. So they're th thinking less about doing the chomps and more about hurrying up to get to me and just through being consistent with watching it goes away. So that's really interesting. And so first off, I, I want to dive deeper into this direct versus indirect pressure, because I, I mm -hmm. think that is very important in this whole scenario for people to wrap their heads around, my, myself included. I know a little bit about it, just enough to really kind of get myself into trouble trying to explain it. But Go into further detail on that when you talk about if you give a command that's direct pressure versus you trying to uh, apply pressure in another way, uh, pretty you much get, to, you know what I, where I'm already going with it. I'll let you pick mm -hmm. up on it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I'll try and come up with a couple of examples. But uh, a dog who, I'm going to just come up with scenarios that are happening in training. I've got a dog that goes out for a retrieve and it picks up the bumper or duck and as it's coming back to me drops it regrips it picks it up drops it regrips it picks it up drops it regrips it pick it up well listen bro we both know that you had a decent grip like if they've got it by the the toe or a wing i get it and then they grab it and they get it good and we finish i got no issues i'm not going to nitpick but you do know that there are dogs that just like procrastinate and yeah. are dinking around. And so the direct pressure when they drop that duck would be fetch. Drop the duck, pick it up. I, you know, drop it, fetch, they pick it up, they deliver to hand. That's direct pressure. I prefer indirect pressure on that instance. So when they drop that duck, I'm going here, 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 holding the collar down. They're going, oh, snap, I better get to him quicker. So the faster you get to me, the faster that collar turns off life is good. So they stop procrastinating or dinking around dropping the bird because they've got to hustle up and get to me. So the here command with a little bit of stem, and it doesn't have to be continuous all the way to me, but it can be like feathered in and out here, neck, 
here, continuous. So that's another point. I don't, Nick, I only use continuous, but I can use the continuous button in a Nick form. Yes. So, (laughs) right. And then I can scale that number up. So maybe it's, you know, uh, a three out of 10 or uh, 30 out of 120, whatever it is, or I can go to 70, whatever you need to get the desired response. But I'd prefer least amount of pressure to get the desired response. So that's one example of, of indirect pressure. The next indirect pressure would be a whiny dog in the blind. Um, quiet with some sort of correction would be direct pressure. Dog whines. I tell you quiet. I apply some sort of correction, physical, collar, maybe a pop on the lead. I don't know. Indirect pressure would be sit. And and like if I'm training, I'll either use a healing stick or my baseball hat and just pop them on the butt. Nothing crazy. But now they're thinking, oh, I should be sitting, not worrying about whining. And that helps get them out of that. So essentially, it's just changing their priority in that in that moment in time, essentially, is like that they're focused in on one thing. I, I don't want to bring duck to dad. You know, I, he's going to take it from me. I don't I don't I don't want to deal with it. But by you just changing the requirement, it's changing their focus to where it's just like, nope, you need to come here. And it's just like, oh, crap, you know, he's giving me a recall now instead of a fetch command. And then it, it just right. naturally comes through. So. Would this be fair? Like another mutual friend of ours, Grayson Geyer, uh, mm-hmm. he's, he's been on a few times as, as well. And I did an episode with him way long ago on redirects. Is this essentially what we're talking about here is just redirecting them when they're doing something that we don't want them or they're focused in on something and we give them another command? Like his example is he was always talking about like a dog in the house wants to go bark at the door. Somebody's coming in, go give them a place command or send them to their bed or or kennel or something like that. Would that be in the same light as this or am I off base on it? I don't think you're off base. I think I'm trying to wrap my head around it because redirect is how at least with that example that would be take their mind off of barking and having them go do something to get their brain stimulated on something else where mine is i'm trying to correct something but well now you got me wrapped up. Um, <laughs> I'm good at that. I think it's very, yeah, I'm, I think it's, I would say it's very similar. Um, or like you've got a puppy nipping your hand and you, you get them to do something else and now they forget about your hand, right? And you're not necessarily rewarding them by giving them a treat or a toy, you're but just, you're just like getting their mind off. Yeah, of you're just changing their mind pro- or your thought, their thought process ultimately. I, I think mine is more deliberate okay. on fixing a problem such as mouthy birds or dropping the bird a bunch or whining. Um, so maybe like another example, dog breaks. No here. That's direct prep. That's direct. I wouldn't say no kennel or no place. It's no here. You screwed up. You left. So I would use direct pressure for that. Indirect pressure would be you jumped off of 
place, you know, you left before, I'm going to make you go back over here. So I wouldn't do that. It's certain instances such as mouthing, whining, dropping. Those are great instances for indirect pressure. So so tell me, because this, this is what I do. I try and just oversimplify this to where it, it yeah, makes no, sense I feel like to, we're in the, to the average person. <laughs> uh, direct pressure is exactly what it sounds like to where we are directly correcting what they just screwed up with the command that, that they're supposed to be doing. Indirect Correct. is where we're handling that error, but through another means. It ultimately yes. is all it is. You're indirectly approaching and correcting that dog to where, again, you talked about it earlier. Dog training is consistency. The dog has to be corrected. It's in that moment in time, are we just going to directly say, oh, you broke. No, you come here. Or mm-hmm. is this a, a s- symptom of where we can indirectly hit that with another means and method ultimately? Yeah. yeah. I just think that dogs... In the instances that I've already said, dropping a bumper, I, I can't come up with another one off the top yeah. of my head, but drop, dropping a bumper, um, whining, you know, instead of saying quiet, you would say sit and give a correction on sit. If I'm worried about sitting, I'm not worried about whining. If I'm worried about hurrying up to get to Bob, I'm not fumbling the bumper or duck. So that would be indirect pressure. When when direct. Uncle when Uncle Bob is pulling up on my collar, I'm not worried about mouthing a bumper. I'm worried exactly. about just him letting go of the collar. That is indirect pressure. Exactly. Yes. During that chomping scenario we talked about 10 minutes ago, the me lifting up on the collar is indirect pressure. They relax, I relax. So instead of continuously saying hold, mm-hmm. and they continue doing whatever they feel like, you apply something to get them to think about it. They, they change their behavior. Yeah. Life is good. So where does perceived pressure fall into this? Okay. I would say perceived pressure, like let's everybody forget what we just said. That's a whole, <laughs> that like we just covered that segment. Okay. <laughs> perceived pressure is when you don't mean it. Or this is my opinion on what perceived pressure is. Maybe there's a definition. I'm jacking it up, but. I will have dogs that let's just, I'll use an example. I'm pissed off because uh, Fido number one screwed up. And I, I usually am really good about taking a deep breath, pulling the next dog out completely going blank and starting fresh. But let's just say there's really sensitive dogs that pick up on my, like, uh, you know, like, God dang, you know, did you see that dog? He was so good. You know, now he's just in this funk, blah, blah, blah. And they pick up on that. They're perceiving pressure. They're starting to get nervous. They're starting to be like, oh, snap, am I in trouble? Or let's say you've been struggling running blind retrieves and the dog is getting corrections in the field. Um, You're using different means and methods to, um, I would say probably perceived pressure would be like blinking birds too, right? Like they they, they smell that bird. They think they're about to get stimmed on the belly band or yanked on uh, a check cord or however, like you guys all do it. Um, And so they start blinking birds. I'm perceiving that that is going to be a situation that I'm going to get a correction by and I'm out. Or I, I have been in trouble in this situation in the past. 
Even though I'm not upset, I have not delivered a correction. I haven't said no. I think they're doing well. And all of a sudden you can see them be like, oh man, I think I'm I'm in trouble here. Yeah. And that that has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with me doing a correction, or I don't like, I don't want any perceived pressure. I want a dog to be totally comfortable. Um, but yeah, that would be perceived pressure in my eyes, right? Like they think something's about to happen. You're like, no, 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 you're good. You're good. No, you're good. I swear. <laughs> that's, that's in the moments, uh, especially my Munstie is super guilty of this to where, you know, like you said, you, anything throws them off to where she perceives pressure that is not actually there. And w- once a yeah. dog, once she gets in that mode, I put her up because there's no it's winning. It's hard to get them out of that mindset. And ultimately it's just like, there's no... You're you're not talking your way out of it. It's just like once it's it, it's a it's a booger in their brain, and once oh, yeah, it's dude. there, they're not getting out of it. And so like my Muncie, like she is so she wants to make me happy so much that any yep. little small tick, a mistimed cue from me, a, a miscorrection, something she she'll start to shut down. And it's from a mm-hmm. standpoint of like, oh, what did I do wrong? I don't want to be sensitive. Wrong. They're very they're sensitive. More- they're more, per- I feel like dogs that do this are more perceptive, are more sensitive, are more in tune with you. Yes. Um, where there's other dogs I trained that literally could give a crap about <laughs> me and are like, there's a duck out there, I'm going. Or there's a, a bird I want to point. I don't care how <laughs> I could be MFing up and down. They're like, let me at them. And they could care less. So they have no perceived pressure. But the dogs that are more sensitive and in tune with you, and want to make you happy and are a real team player they're like feeding so much more off of us than those high rollers in it for themselves independent animals yeah and i i don't know if you would agree with this but you know i talk about i use my munstie lucy as an example on this because she is that dog to where i'll put her on and and i can tell what kind of day she's gonna have based on her interaction with me it's like is she nervous but she's perceiving some pressure that's not actually there. I'm like, all right, this is, she's a head basket. She's a head case today. She's going to yeah. have a, she's going to bump birds. She's going to miss retrieves, whatever. But the days that she comes out of that kennel confident and and we're just, we're on that flat level. I'm like, today's going to be a good day. And it's, right. and, and it's those dogs that I feel like if you can get through and you can get that consistency level up, you have that dog that can not only do the task and perform, but they're trying to do it for you. That's really when we hit that level to where it's like, this is what it's all about. I also feel like looking inward on myself, um, when the sensitive dogs that have a lot more perceived pressure in them, like they, they're just more in tune with what's going on. If they come out of the box, like you just said, I need to reevaluate who I am. Right. Like, why are you having a bad day, Bob? Did you just get off the phone with someone you were frustrated (laughs) with? Did a dog, you know, get it under your skin and let's be honest, they eat their own poop. <laughs> like they, they do things that like they're a dog. You shouldn't <laughs> allow that to upset you. Right. Like yeah. you shouldn't allow a mistake on a retrieve to, to change who you are. So like I reflect heavily on those dogs that I have in my kennel 
that have more perceived pressure in them, more sensitivity in them and say like, if they're picking something up right now and are more tentative to do the work, I should probably take a deep breath and go, you know, let them air out a little bit longer and let me take a deep breath. Get our and minds then, right. Yeah, exactly. Get our minds right. And so if you do have, if you're sitting at home going, dude, my dog's the same. If I had a crappy day at work and I go out and work the dog, they are dog crap. They do terrible. Well, may not be the dog's bad day. It may be that you're having a bad day and they know it and you're feeding off of, or they're feeding off of you. And so I, I reflect heavily on those sensitive dogs, like a gut check, like tone it down, take a deep breath. You're having fun training dogs today. It's a beautiful day out. Let's go. Well, and it, and it goes back to, I mean, we've preached it on our podcast a number of times and you just said it, the dogs feed off our energy, whether that's hunting or testing or trialing. And you, you use the phrase all the time, and I, I give you credit on our podcast all the time for coining it as the unspoken bond. We're, we're building that unspoken bond between these dogs. So when those dogs actually perceive that we aren't in the right mindset or our body language is telling them something that they don't want to come out of the box right now, we, we've literally tried cultivating that reaction in them their entire lives. And here they are telling you, like you said, if you don't look inward and say, what's wrong with me right now, that unspoken bond that you've built up over years, you can do some serious damage with that and and harm that trust that that dog puts in you. As, as corny as that sounds. It, it, but it's true. It, it's true. Yep. It's true. And again, they're, everybody's dog is different. I mean, I've got plenty on the truck that don't care whether I'm having a good day or a bad day. They're, they're out there getting after it and performing and and giving it their all but they tend to be more independent it's the sensitive souls that need you to be in that state of mind yeah and i Absolutely. know th this is a tough question it's probably a dumb one to even ask but it's just a general question would you say in your experience those sensitive ones at the end of the day, if you do your job right as a trainer or a handler, would you say that ultimately like that is a better dog for the average person than, than the high drive dog that doesn't give a flip over what the handler's doing? Oh, man, that, that is a good question. <laughs> it's so general, I know, but it's... I, I think it depends on the owner too, right? Like, I think the owner that doesn't have a good patience streak will quickly ruin that dog, Right. And so it wouldn't be a good dog for the guy or gal that makes mistakes because of their temper, where another dog will bounce back two seconds later and allows mistakes to happen, like handler mistakes to happen, um, where the sensitive dog, you might only have a few mistakes in your tool belt. And then that dog is like, oh, we're in the training field. I'm out. Yeah. Like, I, and just mentally doesn't want to do it. I, I like, the big thing for me, if I had the perfect dog, it'd be medium. I don't want, I don't want the crackhead. I don't, <laughs> I don't want the one who's all being there, all themselves, their crap don't stink. But I also don't want the dog that if I sneeze, they go, oh, whoa. It's like, right. no, nah, I just sneezed. Nothing's wrong. <laughs> just sneeze. It's called allergies. And, and, and but those, some of those dogs are that sensitive that any little like, I had one dog, dude, I, I bit it, like tripped and fell. It was like four days till he would heal near me. Mm. I didn't even touch him as I went down, 
but I tripped, ate it, and was like, son of a, <laughs> you know, like, what the, and people are laughing. I'm like, yeah, and, and that dog would not heal close to me because he thought I was coming down on him. Like, I don't want that either. I don't want to have to baby you and be like, come on, buddy. You know, I, I, I'm a medium guy. I want him to be affected by light pressure. I don't want a hard butt that I've got to be on really heavy. So I want him to respond to pressure on a low level. I want him to feed off me. I want him to have high drive, but not too high. And the dogs that when you open that box, no matter what's going on, and they're like, hey, baby, let's go. That's what I want. Yeah. Every I will hands down every day want that dog on on the truck. And and it comes back that that fancy word balance, you know, just, yeah. just like people, you know, it's if you have the people that are hyperactive and always just lash out at the tiniest thing, and then you have the people that just get walked over in life every mm-hmm. day, you know, it's just like you need that happy medium ultimately. Yeah, dude. I, I'm curious no about it. I'm curious. We, we've talked about indirect direct pressure and perceived pressure. Where where does this purely positive thing come in at the the pressure free training segment where 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 do you stand on that can you actually do force fetch without any form of pressure such as toe hitch or ear pinch nah well so i i kid around and say it's called force fetch for a reason there's parts of it that are uncomfortable that they have to learn from to be to be successful, right? So it's uncomfortable, comfortable, and praise. So uncomfortable, I pinch their ear, tug on their toe, paint roller goes in their mouth, comfortable, and now I praise them. So they learn how to be successful and how to turn that pressure off, right? <laughs> Where if you're put it in their mouth, give them and take it out, give them a treat, or put it in their mouth and then toss it for them, or whatever that dog gets gets going on. Um, can it be done? I know that there's some really, really good trainers like Bill Hillman in the retriever training world has a, a pretty positive approach to force fetch. Um, but I also know that he's getting the creme de la creme of pedigrees and how they're raised is next level as well. So he's not getting dogs that <laughs> are are just awful to deal with. He's cherry and picking. He's cherry picking. Um, but do I think it has context? Sure. When you're talking about frou-frou dog trainer in your neighborhood or local city that's purely positive and they spell it P-A-W-S-T-I-B, <laughs> um, I think that's bananas. And I actually think um, there's still negatives there's still ways that you're taking something away from a dog to get them to get a behavior done and then you reward it when it does it. So technically there's still a negative involved where the dog learns consequences. And so not everything is purely positive. And I would say as much as I don't humanize animals, like remember I made the joke that they eat their own poop, like they're a dog. Yeah. Right. I still think if you look at your friends who've raised children and the ones whose kids are like polite, shake your hand and look you in the eye, hold the door for their mom or dad, um, say please and thank you. At some point, they've had discipline. It doesn't yes. have to be hard. It can be just a talking to on the ride home saying, hey, you know, Johnny, 
I saw that you didn't shake Uncle Bob's hand tonight. You know, make sure next time we go over there, please shake his hand. That's a correction. He's probably going to sit back there going, oh, man, you're right. And feel bad. That's negative, right? You, You didn't spank him, but you gave him a talking to. And now the next time he's going to say, I'm going to Uncle Bob's. I'm going to shake his hand. I'm going to look him in the eye. So I look at it like another reason why people are afraid of force fetch and e-collars is all the negative jumble that these people have out there. When it, I'm telling you right now, it does, it can be as simple as just having a quote unquote talking to like I just had with little Johnny in the backseat of my car. It's not cracking down on them. It's not heavy handed. It's not out of anger or frustration. And it's not really a correction. It's motivation, right? So it's building compulsion to do things quickly. And the quicker you do them, the quicker you get what you want, a retrieve, my praise, a treat. So I'm building compulsion. I'm building motivation. I'm building a sense of urgency in these dogs to do things fast and happy. And you already said it once on this show, you're using the lowest level of pressure to get the desired action or results. And, yeah. and, and I think that's, uh, there's a few things to where my, my brain kind of gets hung up when I, when we're talking about these purely positive, uh, mentality is first off the language. It's just like, there's not even an agreement on what the terminology means. You know, if you're talking about the four quadrants, they don't look at it in terms of positive, negative being addition, subtraction and, and mathematical values. They're talking about it in the sense of feelings. You know, that's a positive yeah. reaction, not a negative. So it's like, okay, well, who's going to give on the terminology here? Cause we're not speaking the same language, but then also, the second realm is there. It's like they automatically are assuming that we're using the highest level of stem on those dogs. So, I mean, let's face it, a, a very high drive dog in, in the face of a distraction, say a bird, what have you, that, you know, goes up to that level 80 on that e-collar to where normal training environment, low, no, low distraction, you have complete control over it. Maybe a 15 is enough for that dog. Absolutely. You know. The scenarios, the context matters. And, you know, it's it's like I think that's where the biggest disconnect is. We're not even talking the same language and in, in, in terminology, but then also yeah. there's assumptions here on both sides that I think are keeping everybody from connecting on that. Yeah, I agree with that as well. And I I just look at it like show me your dog and then we'll show you ours. <laughs> Right. Like if you pull out any one of my personal dogs and 95% of my client dogs, they come out of the box happy to work every day. And the reason I said 95 is because you've got those outliers that are perceived pressure. They, they are typically like, maybe they don't even really like doing it that much, Yeah, but we've got to get it done. And you just do your best to get them through it. And you, again, you still trust the process that at the end, they're going to enjoy it. They may not look like it today, but two weeks, three weeks, a month from now, I've done my homework and built the confidence up. Um, but uh, I just think they're a different level, man. And I don't know, maybe we should have some of those people on our podcast and 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 just hear them out. Well, but I've tried. But I agree with you. I, no, it didn't go I, well, did it? it? It did not go well. So I've talked to. There's been three people, and I'm not going to name names, and I, I I don't mean anything by this. But like one guy gave me actual homework assignment. He was like, "I'll come on and talk to you if you read these three books." 
okay. Did you do it? Roger that. I ordered the books. I read them and said, let's do it. He didn't want to come on after that. And, and it's just like, I have everybody on. Man, I've had people like, literally, I did a force fetch series to where one week somebody is telling me that they do, you know, hold for 45 days in a row. And then the next week, somebody's coming on like you are like, I do hold for three days. Right. Yeah. It's just yeah. like, that's the entire point of my podcast is showing all the methods. And there's a dog right for every single method out there. And mm-hmm. it's up to the handler and owner to figure out which one is a best fit for them and their dog. And Couldn't so, agree more. And so I've tried getting those people on the podcast, but you want to talk about negativity and talking <laughs> to these people. It's funny that they're the purely positive ones. And when I talk to them, they want to slap on all the conditions in the world to come on and, and talk about their methods. And it's just like, hold up, like. That's not how we do We just come on and talk dogs. If you can't come on and just talk your dog training method and, and just let it stand for what it is without any kind of buildup or or loop. Don't ask me this or whatever. Yeah, 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 don't ask me this. Don't bring up that. You're not allowed, you know. And so it's like, you know, I know there's people listening to this that are purely positive and I, I don't have any really dog in that fight. I just, I want to actually talk to somebody that's really adept at it and let's get them on and let's have an honest conversation about it. Yeah. I would be interested to say, here's an eight week old Labrador puppy out of badass lines. Here's a eight week old German short hair from badass lines. Give them to those people and say purely positive, train them by two years old to go run the high levels. I guarantee you it can be done. Yeah, it can be done, but a lot of these methods can get there quicker. A lot of these methods, the dogs understand what does a dog do? What does a wolf do when it's eating food and another dog comes up? It bites them. It goes hard (laughs) in the paint, dude. It goes level 10 aggression. And then that other dog understands. We don't go level 10. You know what I'm saying? Like right. we're, we're pretty freaking nice to them. I love dogs. <laughs> so like I'm I'm pretty dang good. Like so I don't think I think dogs understand corrections. I think dogs get motivated by doing the right thing. I think dogs get motivated by that sucked. This was awesome. I'm choosing that every time. Well, I made a mistake. I remember that. I'm going back over here doing it this way every time now. Um so I think it can be done. I mean, there's plenty of people that have master hunters with no e-collar and no formal force fetch. They just did a really great job with hold and did so much attrition, which maybe we do a quick definition of attrition. Attrition is doing the same thing over and over again until a dog can't do it wrong. So the easiest example for, uh, for a retriever would be two. Two would be good. One is throw a mark, like you're steadying a dog up to be steady for a mark. Throw the mark, dog moves, pick the bird up, throw it again. Dog moves, pick the bird up, throw it again. Dog moves, pick the bird up, throw it again. Dog sits still, dog gets bird. It just learned that after 10 reps of not getting it, the response of getting that bird is sitting still. That's attrition. Verse sit, Nick, sit, or sit, stick, sit or yank on a lead or whatever they however other people do it um 
or sending a dog on a blind. A blind retrieve is a bird they don't see. I say back, they leave my side, they're taking a line. I blow my whistle, they turn and sit. I tell them to go to the right and they go to the left. Tweet here, bring them back to the place they made the mistake, cast again. They go to the left again, bring them back, cast to the right. They go to the left, bring them back again, go to the right. They go to the right. That's attrition. So I did it over. I didn't apply e-collar stimulation. I didn't even say no. You just bring them back to the mistake, cast them where they went, where you want them to go. And all of a sudden, like, hmm, that didn't work three times. I'm going this way. And it worked. And I get to keep rolling. Life is good. That's what he must have meant. That's attrition. In the pointing dog world, attrition, you got an example? Uh, pretty maybe, much what maybe you like said. when they're <clears throat> the, like this, bump, bumping birds as a young dog or something, just get yeah, them on more birds. I, I and mean, let really, the bird teach them outside of the retrieving side of things. Uh, my mind kind of went to the same thing as what you're talking about: steady, steadying up the dog. You know, steadiness yeah. is steadiness. Retrieving is retrieving. Dog training is dog training. And so, steadiness, whether you're doing barrel from a place board, whoa. It just out in the field in a sequence, you know, just reps, it, high level of reps is what you're talking about. And the dog yeah. learns, I did not get that until I did it right. And, That's right. And you can get that through pretty much any dog with, but the, the number varies, right? And it's like this dog over here might take 20 reps. Yeah. This dog over here might take 200 reps, right? It, it's like right. you, you will eventually get through to that dog. But at the same time, to your point, there might be a, a much easier way or or a way that makes sense to that dog that doesn't involve doing 200 birds in front of them. You build that foundation in the short grass, then go apply it in the in the tall grass. That's that's where you start making leaps and bounds with your dog, and you're not just doing the same exact drills and repetitions until you're bored to tears day in, day out. Right. Yeah. But I think attrition would be a, a more positive approach. But is it in the dog's mind? Right. Like you could have that argument about, no, the dogs, you're you're taking something away from them and ask them to do it again. Like too much attrition, I think, can sack confidence away. Too much electricity on those corrections versus attrition can take confidence away. Like it's a bad, you said the word bounce. Balancing act. Yes. And you got to train the dog in front of you. Your monstie may do better with attrition than collar. Yeah. You know, a, a, a crazy, you know, horseback English pointer may do better with a collar. I don't know. I haven't done. Those are one that I haven't done. But, uh, you know, it's just kind of what's dog is in front of you. There's a bunch of tools in the tool belt that you can apply and try, see what happens. You're not going to ruin a dog in one day. If you have 10 bad days in a row, I guarantee the 11th is not going to be a good one. <laughs> right? Yeah. But if you have one or two bad days and you work through it, that's okay. They're allowed to have bad days. You're allowed to have bad days. And, but maybe start thinking about, hmm. What if I change this up? What if I go to a different field? What if I use birds instead of bumpers? What if um, I come out and throw them a fun bumper, uh, one or two fun bumpers, then do obedience, then go to work? Or what if I just take obedience out of it? Does that attitude come back up? Like, don't be afraid to change your approach. Right. 
And and ultimately, that's w- where my podcast came from, is I was taught a way to teach my dogs when I first got into this, and it's worked for a lot of other dogs. Didn't yeah. it, it eventually worked for my dog, but n- the knowledge that I have now, I could have gotten there in half the time with half the number of birds and cost and, and just time that it took to train the, my first dog to steadiness is what I was dealing with in the field. It's just like, if, if I just had anybody come and was like, hey, there's another way of thinking about this and throw that out there, you know, ultimately that's where all of this stemmed from is this, there's not, not cool. there's just not one way to follow through this. And then, what, you know, yeah. when, when your eyes kind of open and you kind of see f- what it is, it, it's, it's like, man, there's, there's truly hundreds of ways to do this. There, there really yeah. is. And, and I mean, it's just like, I, I'm not a fan of everybody switching methods just because it's like they have one bad training day and it's like, oh, this isn't working for me. Time to train to, you know, go to another method. No, there's 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 time. You have to give it time to work out. And also, did you really do the research and homework to fully understand that method before starting anyway? Because if you didn't do that, then the next method isn't going to help you either because you're not going to take the time to understand that method either. Yeah, I agree with you. Um I'm not necessarily saying change methods either. I'm just saying think outside of the box on the problem. Right. Right. So if you're watching, for instance, shout out to Cat and Ethan. If you're watching their YouTube series on steadying up a, a pointing dog, then you could go to, you know, the Smith method. And then you could go to uh, name another one for me. Hey, thank you. I couldn't think of George Hickox. <laughs> you know. Um, then, tra- you know, there's, yeah, yeah. go ahead, name another. Uh, oh, I mean, training with Mo. I mean, you, you, you yeah, I mean, you, the Lindley. Gibbons West method. I mean, it's just like, it's endless. It truly is. But if you, if you take the time, I would still encourage you to take the time to learn all of them so that maybe something in Mo's course, you, you still do Ethan and Katz method through and through, but you remember watching something in Mo's course and let's try that today. And then you do that for a couple of days, like, boom, that light bulb flip on your dog and it's getting it. You Then you go back to Ethan and Katz because you can follow that course so well on YouTube, right? And then, boom, you run into a roadblock and you're searching on Ethan and Katz thing. And you're like, but you know what? I remember Hickox did this. Mm-hmm. And so you've got tools in your tool belt. I'm not like for me, I'm Mike Lardy is like the king for retrievers. He's just a savage. He's huge on attrition. And I think that's where I was going with earlier when I said the definition of attrition. But anyways, huge on attrition, less on the collar, but he's had more field champions. You know, he's just a beast. Like, you know, like a Hickox, like he's legendary in our world. Um, I follow a lot of his stuff, but I've also followed the Wild Rose Method. You know, a British lab and how they don't use any e-collars or any force fetch and da-da-da-da-da. But there are things that I do that I learned from them, from a book and a DVD that I still follow Lardy. But when you've got a little thing here that you got to tweak, boom, this is this is a good little tool. And then it's done and you go on to the process. Yeah. And ultimately, you were talking about biggest pet peeves earlier. My, you know, my biggest pet peeve is when somebody new gets into this world and 
whether it's social media, training day, fill in the blank, wherever they are, and they're like, you know, they throw up their hand. Hey, help. I, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm completely green. And then you have somebody step in and it's just like, all you need in this entire world is this one book. And, and it's just like, yeah, yeah. it's just like, man, I, it, but their their way of thinking is I've been using Richard Walter's book, Gundog, for 30 plus years and I've done yep. four dogs and they've turned out great for me. It's like, okay, cool. Maybe that worked for you, right? Yeah. But you're literally telling the people coming into this that there's only one way of to skin this cat. And and yeah. it's just not true. And so you're kind of starting them off on, on a bad footing. You know, they'll self-correct and they'll, they'll figure it out as they go on. So it's not the end of the world. But to your point, like the people like you – Ethan, whoever that that really knows what they're doing and their dogs, and they kind of figure out their method. It's the people that don't stop learning. That they're oh, all yeah. they're always reading the next book. They're always listening to the next podcast. They're always watching the next YouTube video. I, I think a few weeks ago, you and I spoke on the phone, and, and you just referenced off, offhand another podcast. Not even so much because it was a dog training podcast, but just that you thought that I would appreciate it because he was a dog trainer. Mike Drop, Mike Ridlin, and appreciate oh, yeah. that because I've been tearing it up ever since. It's a dude, nice. dude's freaking awesome. I was recording a, a profile episode just two days ago, and the guy referenced Mike Ridlin's book. I did not know who Mike Ridlin was two weeks ago talking to you and here I have a guy coming on saying that he trained his entire dog based off Mike Ridlin's book. And I'm like you you don't get this base of knowledge just by following one method and sticking with it for 30 plus years. At the end of the day, you can go read a book. You can completely disagree with it on the face of it. You can be like, this is dog crap. I'm not following it. I disagree with it. But you have the knowledge now. You That's know, right. you, you can at least explain or should be able to explain why you think it won't work for you, which is just yeah. often as important as saying why you think something should work for you, at least in my opinion. Yeah. And then, you know, one more point, and then we can kind of maybe get off the subject. But <laughs> uh, I had a, like, we all say, like, be a sponge, right? You just go up, you, you be a sponge. But the the thing about being a sponge is you can squeeze that sponge and leave some stuff behind, right? Yeah. Like, I've trained with plenty of people, like high level dudes, top in our country, that I watch every move they make. And there are things I like and things I don't like. There are moments I'll say, like, I want to be like that. I want my dogs to act like that. And then I'll be like, but I don't want to do that. Right. And so, how do we maneuver that? But at least I've been a sponge to say, I picked these things up. And then I picked his brain on how to pick those things up. And then I saw this stuff happen. It's like, but I don't need that. I learned it. I watched it. I understand it. That is cool for him. I'll do it this way. I get my, I get good results. I do well. And, but I picked up three pieces from spending 12 hours with that dude in the field. And those three pieces have helped me significantly. And you add that to, you know, however many years I've been doing this. And a bunch of people that I've day trained and and gone and visited and whatever. And it's like, it, it, you get so many little tidbits that they probably didn't even know that you're taking from them. Mannerisms, body language, verbal cues. Um, so just be a sponge, but 
but don't soak it all up. You you can you can squeeze a little bit out and leave some behind if you don't like it. Yeah. Oh, uh, and that, that that's a great point. I mean, that's uh, I'm sure I'll be using that one for future references on on this one. Uh, man, what are we missing? I know we kind of covered a, a ton of ground on this. You know, we we went from yeah. every. You know, we covered a lot on this one. Yeah. It, it, go ahead and and again, you're gonna give me the link. I'm gonna put it in the show notes so we make sure that sure, we don't yeah. uh, don't hit it up. There is a promo code. It's GDIY twenty for twenty percent off. Uh, that's gonna be in the show notes as well. Pitch all your other stuff, man. Your podcast. I know you got oh, a bunch thanks. of stuff going on. You know, tell everybody where they can find Uncle Bob. Yeah, no, I appreciate, it, man. I appreciate you taking time and having me on. Um, so the Force Fetch course will be in the show notes, but I think it's lone duck.podia forward slash force fetch. Then it's GDIY20 for your 20% off over the next 12 months. So maybe you're listening to this and you got a three-month-old puppy. Man, come March, April, May, June, July you're going to start this stuff. So just remember that you've got it. Um, and it doesn't go away. It's almost like you buy a DVD. Like once you buy this thing, you got it forever. That's what I was about to ask. Cause I haven't seen this. I haven't even seen the course you, you said at the start of this, I think you said it was an hour, 20 hour and 30 minutes yeah. long. Is that in one long video or is it broken up into little chunks? It's broken up into chunks and most of them are roughly 10 minutes long six minutes long, 15 minutes long, depending on like legit, I'm struggling with something with a dog. It's like, ah, you know, this is good for you to see, you know, like <laughs> looking over my shoulder at the camera. Um, so, it, but it's, it's like 13 series, 13 little chapters, if you will, from hold to ear pinch or toe hitch, all the way to collar fetch, all the way to walking fetch, all the way to force to a pile, and then taking it to the field and applying it on marks. Um, definitely good for any breed and any personality. Um, so you guys have that in the show notes, GDIY20 for your 20% off during 2023. Uh, dude, Instagram is lone duck, L-O-N-E-D-U-C-K. Uh, podcast is Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles. What else, man? Oh, we have a Patreon, but you know, so do you. So, like, you know, <laughs> we all got Patreons now, baby. Sign up for everybody's uh, Patreons. Uh, yeah, it's five bucks, <laughs> like buying us a beer, man. Just like buying us a beer for the, you know, hanging out and chatting. Yeah. Um, what else? That's probably it, man. We got YouTube. We've really put a lot of effort into our YouTube channel, and Ethan and Cab have been huge proponents and and i enjoy helping people so like our this podcast our podcast um the foresight course instagram youtube it's just a way to like hey i learned this one day this is how i like to do it go here give it, it a is. shot yeah go give it go give it hell buddy and have fun doing it and so you know our youtube's growing and we're pumping out videos for that but it's just about a community it's about guys like me and you who never shaken hands before, but we can easily chat together and, and have good conversation. And I don't know, just go have fun with your dog. Don't be afraid to train your dog. And I uh, appreciate you having me on, man. Thank oh, you. I, absolutely. And I, I'll kind of close out on this. Like, guys, if you're listening to this and you're one of the 50 people that are going to shoot me a force fetch question within the next month or so, <clears throat> It, give this yeah. some give this some serious thought, okay? Because you guys are living in a in a day and age to where 
rewind the clock, Bob. Can you imagine when you got into this world having the resources at your hand that people have at their disposal no. right now? I mean, it's just like in the past year, so many courses and everything have come online from people that know what they're doing and they actually want to help people to where, I mean, I remember when I first started out, I'm like, I just wish there was a roadmap. I wish there was just step by step. This is what to follow. This is what you're talking about. You have this. So it's like, I did the force fetch series last year that got a huge response. People freaking love that. This takes that to the next step. And so if you're that person that's you're you're on the fence, like uh you're you're listening to the person at your nab to train a day, like, nope, you gotta go to a pro trainer to force fetch your dog, like check out the course. Check it out. Yeah. It, it is trust me, like Bob said, if we if we can do this with our own dogs, yeah, you, you can too. And and so absolutely just check it out and and give it some serious consideration because you will not be sorry at the end of force fetch when you have that bond with that dog. And you watch that dog develop mentally over two months, whatever it is. It's yeah. it, it is probably the most rewarding thing I've done with my dogs to date is going through force fetch, and that's coming from a versatile dog, pointing dog world, whatever you want to call me. Focus, right? And yeah, so yeah, it, that that's that's the best sales pitch I can give you, Bob. <laughs> oh man, I appreciate. It. But to to reiterate what you just said too is hilarious. Like. When I started, we read books and there were some DVDs out. You, we didn't, I couldn't call up Mike Lardy and be like, hey, dude, I'm struggling with this with my dog. Well, listen, now the whole world is growing where y- you can buy the course. If you never want to talk to me again, you've got the course. But there's other avenues. Like I give away a lot of free information on Instagram. If I spend a ton of time, I'll say, hey, happy to help you. Jump on Patreon. Yeah. So you can literally call me on my phone or call Ethan on his phone and and shoot him a video and say, this is what I'm struggling with. You can shoot me a video. This is what I'm struggling with. Back then, we didn't have that. We have so many resources for folks who want to do it themselves. I don't want to send my dog to Bob or Ethan to have them training. I want to do it myself. GDIY, baby. Talk to me from a pro trainer, and then we'll wrap this up. Uh, I promise. You just mentioned... Somebody brings up price. It's too expensive. But then in the next breath, they're talking about going to drop off their dog at a trainer. Which one is saving them money in the long run? Buying the course from you or dropping their dog off at a pro trainer? Well, for sure, buying the course off me. I mean, shoot, dude. It's like it's a tenth of my monthly fee. Right. And that's a month. Right. Yeah. Bob, I appreciate it, man. It's always fun catching up with you, and I'm I'm sure we'll we'll be doing it again some someday down the road, and and have you yeah. back on pitching the next course that you have coming on, or just, <laughs> just shooting the shit anyway, whatever. Well, I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate everybody tuning in, and I hope you have a great New Year, man. Thank you. Yep, you too as well, man. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation I had with Bob Owens of Lone Duck. Uh, I always love catching up with Bob. He's he's just a cool guy. He's fun. He's he's down to earth. He's like everybody else, and and does things the same reasons we do. He just loves to hunt. He loves dogs. He's a dog guy, and I think that kind of comes through every time he's come on this podcast. And he's a wealth of knowledge. Uh, and it's it's always nice to step out of my comfort zone to where I'm talking mainly for the most part. These pointing dog guys, versatile dog guys, uh, you know, fill in the blank, whatever. But, you know, the dog training is dog training, like we say a million times on this podcast throughout the years. And stepping out of the comfort zone or the typical people that we kind of talk to and talking to these retriever guys or even hound guys or whatever that's outside of the uh, bird dog and, and versatile dog world, that's how you grow. That's how you learn new things that you can then attribute and contribute to your your own training methods and so hopefully you got some uh, value out of it i know bob has been working for a while on his force fetch program and this is something that over the years we talked about on this episode that we get asked quite often of roadmaps and how do you do this step by step how can i do force fetch can i do it by myself or do i need a pro trainer Uh, we've answered the question a million times on this podcast i did the force fetch series last year which was a huge hit bob was on that for one of the episodes so go check that out if you haven't already Uh, but we get asked all the time on this and and i know that that you might be sitting there like well i haven't asked for it well one of these days if you're training your own dog you're you're gonna ask you're gonna want some of these resources to figure out how to do all this and so bob you know when he he finally wrapped this course up he's uh he's doing the the typical rounds trying to promote it and everything but it's really good quality information so i behoove you to check that out the link is in the show notes so if you have any interest whatsoever of signing up or seeing what that's about by all means check it out because force fetch is one of those things no matter your your view or take on it, there's going to be some kind of formalization when it comes to retrieving unless you just don't care at all about retrieving whatsoever, maybe. And th- there are some guys out there that, that are like that. They just care about the dog searching, finding, pointing, you shoot a bird, and they don't care if the dog goes and gets it. They're, they're perfectly fine going to get it. Clearly, we're not talking to to you, but I think that's the the minority of the dog world, to be perfectly honest. Uh, most of us want at least some kind of retrieve that we can hopefully rely on at, at some point, and with that comes formalization, whether that's through the toe hitch or the ear pinch or you know the pressure-free stuff that we, we talked about briefly on this episode. There's a, there's a bunch of different ways to go about doing this, but some sort of formalization to retrieve is going to be there. And uh, even even outside just the retrieving, you have uh, duck search. You know, it, force fetch leads into duck search for most of the trainers that I talk to. Uh, you're going to hear that they knock out force fetch to a certain standard or level and then move on into duck search. So for those NAVDA and versatile dog people, and you're, you're just saying like, well, I just want uh, to do a duck search. Well, after duck search and utility, then you go to the invitational level, then you're going to have blind work. 
right? You're going to have double marks. You're going you're gonna, to... And then just the practicality of it for hunting reasons. You know, it's a quality retriever is... It's just nice. If you've never had one and then you, you actually get to witness one that's really competent and uh, consistent, it's... Uh, you know, just just get out there. You, once you come across it and you see it, you're going to kind of, it's going to click. It's going to make sense. It's like, okay, there is more to this. But uh, the duck search is really interesting. I actually, I'm recording this on the first of the uh, first of the year. So it's about a week early of the episode. And, and I got to do a duck search with Lucy the other day in an actual hunting environment. And, and if you're listening to this podcast, you know I'm not the biggest duck hunter. I'm kind of an opportunist when it comes to duck hunting. So I don't get to actually use um, some of the duck search training that I've done with my dogs in the past. Well, this past uh, weekend... I was at my buddy Scott's place in North Carolina. We went duck hunting real quick. Um, I actually didn't even have waders. I wasn't even planning on doing uh, duck hunting. We were just out in rubber boots, shooting shooting birds. Dogs are going to get it. Uh, well, I, I shot one mallard. It, it was crippled. I could see it swimming off. And for whatever reason, the dog on the ground, just she was popping. She just would not go out and get it, even though she had already done three, four, five duck searches uh, with success. For whatever reason, there was just something about this one that she wouldn't go get. And uh, so we sat there, we, we finished out the hunt, and then we went back up to the to the parking area and lodge. And uh, I, it's it was probably about 45 minutes or an hour. And, and while they were kind of cleaning up things, and I, I went ahead and got Lucy out of the truck, and I started walking back down there uh, because I knew that the duck was down. I knew it was out there. I didn't know where it was at this point, especially being 45 minutes, you know, an hour later, something along those lines. And, and I, I honestly didn't know what I was going to get out of her because it's been so long since I've actually focused on duck search training, let alone used one in the field because I'm not a, not a heavy duck hunter, as I already said. And to her credit, man, she just, she just killed it. I lined her up center just told her search she goes out i mean maybe a minute minute and a half all of a sudden i start hearing voice on a chase i see a duck way off and she chases it down and brings it back and i mean it's two and a half three minutes i have the duck that's been out there for almost an hour in my hands and without her i would not have gotten that duck and what's interesting is is whatever whatever happened the shot did not penetrate that duck it was well within range it was well within firepower, it should have killed the duck, but it actually just broke the wing. Not a single pellet after I got done cleaning and plucking the bird penetrated that skin. It actually just broke the wing. So that duck would have been out there on that swamp, not being able to fly off. And so it probably would have gotten picked off by a coyote or some other predator. But I shot it and I wanted the duck back because clearly I shot it. And so it was just really neat being able to see even after that long of a brat. Um, break with Lucy just lining her up and sending her it's it's exactly why we train this stuff whether you're training handling and marking and or duck search all this stuff matters and it's about getting the game back in hand that you actually shot at and that's pretty much it you know it's it sounds like a pretty general thing to say or an obvious thing or obvious statement to to talk about but it was really fun just it's always a blast getting to see what you train these dogs to do, actually using what you train them, uh, using that in the field in real-world practicality, real hunting situations. So uh, that was fun. And, uh, yeah, it, 
we we talked about on this episode, or or Bob made a couple references that we're videoing this episode. So if you wanted to actually like watch this video, you could have you could have heard this episode or watched this episode uh, for about the past week. I've had early access up on Patreon, and. Uh, clearly throughout the episode there's a few references from Bob and myself talking about if you support uh, either him or me on Patreon or anybody on Patreon that you get certain benefits and stuff like that. Um, So this video and this episode has been up for about a week and and what I'm getting at is I'm doing an extended outro. I'm going to start doing some extended outros kind of giving my thoughts and opinions and and just stories or or whatever. Fill in the blank is going to be a bunch of randomness. On Patreon, I'm going to start doing those outros. I'm going to aim for every week and uh, just kind of give you more thoughts. You know, I've had a few listeners say that they they want some more of uh, real, real stories or feedback or advice on what I'm doing with my own dogs, whatever. If you want to get to know me and what I have going on on my own stuff, uh, join Patreon and I'm happy to share that stuff with you. But I just want to let you know that this is just one of the many things that we're trying to do on Patreon this year. We're trying to ramp up our our uh, level of involvement and bonus material and, and just content options overall for you people to make Patreon uh, more, I don't know, appealing. So, With all that being said, between these outros, the bonus episodes with Nick Larson, which if you haven't seen the last one we did, we we actually started incorporating some real uh, hunting footage from our GoPro as we walked through and and some contacts. We're going to start including some video breakdowns of actual hunting situations. And I'm sure I'll be adding in some training situations and, and stuff during the offseason as well. But just something different. It, it's I think it's a cool feature. It's going to be something neat that me and him get to do. And if you if you have a, a GoPro on uh, that you like to carry when you hunt with your own dogs and you have your own videos, uh, you know we're going to open that up to our own Patreon patrons where they can submit their own videos and maybe me and Larson sit down and break those out. You know, whatever that looks like, all this stuff is kind of new and, and uh, kind of in, a, in its infancy. So bear with us as we get that going. But we're excited to kind of unroll out some new content and, and again, make all this appealing. But with this being the new year, whether this is GDIY, Birdshot, supporting Bob at Lone Duck, whoever, uh, consider if you actually use a resource, uh, a show, uh, an account online, whatever, try and figure out how you can support that, that show or that person. And, and none of this stuff is free, especially when you start talking about time. You know, it, I'm not going to sit here and say that everything has to break the bank monetarily, but a lot of this stuff takes time. There's a reason why so many people start podcasts or start YouTube uh, channels or start this or start that, and they don't ever follow through. It's because it's a time suck. It's a commitment. It is a it, it is a consistent draw away from our family and the stuff that we like to do. And I, I'm not sitting here trying to explain to you that like what we do is anything special or particularly difficult, but just consider that if you've been using somebody like Bob or Ethan at Standing Stone for for years to develop your own training and and develop your own dog to give back to them however you can. That that might be joining Patreon and and like Bob said, buying them a beer. If it's not, you know, there's other ways. Social media, 
hitting like, hitting share, you, you guys don't understand how much that helps with the crazy algorithms that they're constantly doing. Um, submitting topics, suggestions, feedback, all that stuff helps. And when, when we're trying to plan out our content, plan out our episodes, our guests, uh, we're trying to give stuff that you guys actually want to hear and actually like. If we don't hear from you, if we don't hear feedback, whether you like or dislike stuff, we don't know what you want to hear. And so we're just kind of going off of our own best judgments. If there's something that you actually want to to hear and you think would be of value, by all means, reach out. And and of course, I'm talking about us, but I'm talking about everybody in general. With this being a new year, if you've been if you've gained anything from somebody or an account over the years, consider giving back to them because they've, you know, they've taken their time and their resources to give you the information. And again, it's as simple as leaving a rating and review on Apple. Spotify allows a five, you know, five star ratings. Just hitting that button, it takes five seconds. It's free. You don't have to do anything. Um, you know, if you're on the market, if you're trying to buy a new hat or something, go buy the merchandise, go buy the lone duck shirts, go buy the GDIY hats, What, whatever. You know, I'm not trying to guilt anybody into this, but I'm just saying that, you know, Bob and I, we talked a little bit about it in the episode. We get all the time that, you know, I've been listening to you for, you know, the entire time I've listened to all the episodes and I've trained my dog strictly off your podcast or, or what have you. That's great. Uh, appreciate it. I love it. That's why we're out here doing it. But then, you know, you start talking to them and then they didn't even know that there was a Patreon. They've never, they don't even follow you on social media and stuff like that. Uh, This is literally just once a year. This is, this is my spiel here. If you like uh, uh, content, if you like a resource, support them so that it stays there so that it's worth the people's time and actually putting in the effort uh, to bring you that content. Anyway, I'm going to get off my soapbox here. I've, I've rambled on long enough. And again, I appreciate everybody uh, listening that has listened, that are going to continue to listen, hitting that download button, hit and play, uh, share with a friend. Again, social media goes a long way. If you can hit follow, if you can hit like, you can hit share, that, that goes a long way. But I hope everybody had a great Christmas, a happy New Year's, and uh, wrapped up 2022 on a high note. And I hope everybody has some great goals, some plans, some adventures coming down 2023. And I can't wait to share with you more of what we have coming down the pipe because it's, uh, it's a lot of good stuff, and I hope you stick around for it. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high grade lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just have to replace it again and year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance 
They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.